Hey, and would you say thank you to Pastor Randy and all of the band and the tech team for leading us in a time of worship. They do a fantastic job. So good to see you tonight. Thank you for being with us. It's good to have those who are joining us online as well to watch the service, unable to be with us, but watching online. So we welcome you. And uh, I want to take just a little time tonight. It's always good uh, to be at the North Campus and have an opportunity to speak to our church uh, family here. And uh, God's doing some great things. I won't take the time uh, tonight because I want to get right into the message, but simply say thank you for praying for your South Campus family. A lot of you have never uh, met some of the people that attend there, but God is doing remarkable things, and we're so glad that you are praying and supporting and believing God with us for what He is doing. I want to take a little time tonight, and I want to talk to you about a value that every serious uh, follower of Jesus holds dear, and that would be honesty. But I'm going to do it in a little bit different way, and uh, you'll see that as we get a little bit deeper into the message tonight. But all of us value honesty. We really do. You couldn't go to a single person. I mean, if I was to walk around with a mic tonight, just come to you individually, starting over here and back there and just coming across it, you believe in honesty? Should you be honest? Is honesty a good value for a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody, I mean, if somebody said no, we'd all like to, what did they just say? We, we know that it's a value. And we've even uh, coined phrases, haven't we, to talk about the importance of honesty. And, you know, honesty, you ever hear, hear this one? Honesty as the day is long. And then we hear those kind of statements, or we hear this statement, honesty is the best what? We've even attributed honesty to one of our presidents from many years ago, and that would be honest, honest Abe. And so we all value honesty, and, and you know what's, what's neat? You always want your kids to be totally honest with you, don't you? As a parent, you just want your kids to be honest with you. Now, one of the things, and, and I love this because some of you have not yet experienced it, but you are, and it's going to be so fun for me to know that it happened to you because it's happened to me, and that is when your kids, here's what's really neat, your kids grow up, they become adults, they move out of the house, and then all of a sudden, they start becoming honest about things they did a long time ago that they were never honest about. How many of you have kids old enough to know that happens? Like, where was that honesty when you were, you know, small enough I could just rip your lips off right here at the dining room table, you know? Where, where was the honesty then? I can remember the boys uh, years after they had grown and out on their own, and, uh, you know, they're far too big for me to do anything with them now. So it was like, hey, hey, Dad, do you remember this time when, uh, you know, you had a bunch of people over the house, and, and you sent us, you got on the phone, and you ordered, you know, a lot of pizza and a lot of wings, uh, chicken wings, and, you know, you told us to go and pick it up, and, and Brent was just barely able to drive at the time. And, you know, uh, you know, when kids first get their driver's license, they're always eager to run errands until they get tired of it. And so he was eager to run errands at that time. And I'm like, hey, you know, here's my debit card. Just run up there and pick up. You know, they'll give you the total and all that and bring it back. And they were gone for a little while. And I wasn't thinking a whole lot about it. And so this had been years. I mean, years after this, this had occurred. So one day they're just sitting around and they're saying, hey, you remember that night? And I'm like, well, vaguely, I remember it. But do you remember, Dad? This is how it went. But do you remember, Dad, that we didn't eat any of the pizza or any of the chicken wings? Do you remember that? And I'm like, absolutely not. I have no recollection. And they just started laughing. And I said, why, why do you even bring that up? They said, well, what you didn't know, and we never told you, was that we were driving back. We had the pizza and the wings. You know, Drew was holding them in his lap. And a car stopped, and we just had to slam on brakes. And all of the pizza, every piece and every chicken wing goes in the floorboard of the car. It's just scattered all over the board. 
and we just picked it up, sort of dusted it off, put it back as neatly as we can, and then we just sat back and laughed as we watched all of you eat it. You know, and I'm just thinking, you know, that honesty actually would have come in handy at, at the moment that it happened, not, you know, years later when you couldn't do anything about it. I love this story. Perhaps you've heard it. story about the older guy, the grandpa, and he was always going on and on about the good old days, and that's what grandpas often do. And he'd talk about the good old days and the lower cost of living in particular. And this is what he said, his quote. He said, when I was a kid, my mom could send me to the store and I'd get a salami, two pints of milk, six oranges, two loaves of bread, a magazine, and some new blue jeans, all for a dollar. Then Grandpa said, sadly, you can't, you can't do that anymore. You just can't do that anymore. Now they've got those video cameras everywhere that you look. Just can't get that same kind of deal. Well, not very honest, was he, in those days. But how often do we find ourselves, and it's what I want to talk to you about tonight, out of the Old Testament, a figure that you know uh, quite well. I want to talk to you about what ought not to be challenging to us, but often is, and that is honest with God, being honest with God. And so often we think, well, yeah, I'm always honest with God, but I, I think maybe uh, tonight we might would reevaluate that a little bit. And I want you to join me for just a few moments in using your imagination the best that you can. Let's say, and you insert yourself into the story, let's say that God gives you an assignment. God comes to you with a clear voice. You know that God has granted to you this assignment. He's sending you on mission. And with this assignment, as he gets ready to send you out, again, inserting yourself into the story, as he gets ready to send you out, he has some reassuring words for you. And this is what God would say to you. He'd say something like this, whatever your name is, you know, inserted there. Hey, hey, Bob, hey, Sue, hey, Tammy, hey, John, whatever. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you out, and I need you to go and to accomplish this task. And while you're active in doing what I'm actually asking you to do, I just want you to know the whole time that you're doing it, the whole time you're accomplishing what I'm sending you out to do, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Need I remind you what my word says, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God has all these reassuring words for you. God says, I'm going to help you while you go. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. He reminds you that you are held in the palm of his hands and that nothing can take you from that place in his hands. So off we go, confident, and we go about to accomplish what God has given us to do, fully committed to it. But all it brings us, we notice we're not into it too long at all, but all it brings us is a lot of trouble. In fact, we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, but now our life is in danger. And all the while, we're just doing what God has asked us to do for, the, you know, for him. Now, if that were to happen, again, use it in your imagination. You're like, okay, God asked me to do it, and I did it. Yeah. And he gave me some reassuring words before he sends me out. That's right. He's promised that he's going to be with me, he's going to guide me, he's going to watch over me, he's going to protect me, that I'm going to be okay. Yep, that's, that's exactly what God says. And then you say, well, why am I in such trouble? Why do I have all this danger lurking around in my life? Why do, I, why do I have all these problems? Why do I have all these challenges I'm having to contend with? And be quite honest, I'm having to contend with him because I'm simply doing and being obedient to what God had asked me to do. Now, I've just got to ask you, if that were you, inserted in the story, well, how would you feel about that? Uh, you know, I think we all would feel very similar, like, 
you know, I'm not doing anything disobedience. I'm not going against the grain of what God wants me to do. All this trouble that I've got going on in my life, all these problems that I'm, uh, you know, experiencing, they're all happening simply because I'm doing what God wants me to do. And how would you feel about that? Probably not very well. And it's actually the story of this guy, this major prophet in the Old Testament, and I want to talk about his life for just a little while while we're together. It's the story of Jeremiah. You see, in the days when Jeremiah lived, God's people had completely forsaken the very one who had created them and called them by name. In Jeremiah's day, when you just look around the landscape of what was going on, the leaders in his day were corrupt. The priests, they were pretenders. The people were rebellious. And the merchants, for the most part, were all swindlers. So God has this assignment. You've got to follow the story. And you've heard me mention this before. If you want to deepen your understanding of the Bible, I do this all the time when I'm studying the Bible. I say, all right, what do I have to do? I, I, I want to be in the middle of the action. I would like to just see all this playing out firsthand. Uh, if I was living, and I try to experience that, if I was living in Jeremiah's day, and, and God was telling him, and I happened to be you know, alongside of him, watching what he was doing for the sake of God, what would that have been like? And so you know, God is there, and he's saying to Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out, and I want you to warn the people. This is your fundamental responsibility, Jeremiah. I want you to go out and I want you to warn the people that judgment is coming. I'm about to send judgment because of everything that I see and everything that is so against my plan and prerogative for their lives. Unless they humble themselves and sincerely repent, you let them know. You be clear. You be bold about it. You be courageous and you tell them that they need to repent. And you go ahead and let them know that if they will repent, good things are coming. Good days are ahead of them because I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to restore them. However, Jeremiah, you've got to be clear. Don't hedge on this. You let them know if they refuse, if they remain steeped in their rebellion, if they just keep doing it their way instead of my way, you let them know things are going to get bad and they're going to get bad quickly. So Jeremiah, you go out and you got to see this. Jeremiah, you go out. That's your assignment. But you got to know this. When you go, I am with you, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And you can go out courageously, and you can go out boldly, because I'm not going to forsake you. In fact, God has some pretty powerful words for Jeremiah. I want you to see them. This is the very first chapter. This is verse 19. Take a look at what God says to him. He says, talking about they, the people that Jeremiah is going to sort of prophesy against, really. He said, Jeremiah, you know this. They will not overcome you, for I am with you and I will rescue you. Now, keep that up, if you will, for just a moment. Now, wouldn't that last part of that phrase just go, wouldn't that make you just a little bit nervous? Because I'd be asking, maybe it's just the way my mind works, well, what am I going to have to be rescued from? This didn't sound like a really big deal. You're just saying you're going to go with me, and, you know, you're going to empower me, and I'm on mission for you. So what? You know, they're not going to overcome you, God. I didn't really think about that. Uh, for you're with me. Okay, I get that. I believe that. Uh, theologically, fundamentally, I, I believe that, and you're going to rescue me. What are you, what are you really going to have to rescue me from? So Jeremiah sets out, possibly that's lagging in the back of his mind, and he sets out to do the precise thing that God asked him to do. So if you know the story, you know that he goes out, and he's only doing what God has asked him to do, and you might would wonder, if you were not familiar with the story, well, how, how is he received? Are the people glad to see him? Hey, Jeremiah, man, it's good to see you. What? 
repent, turn from our wicked ways, be restored to God? Well, you would hope that they'd say, sure. You know, we've just gotten a little careless. We've gotten a little bit lazy in our spirituality. And and thank you so much, buddy, for drawing our attention to this. And you're right. We need to humble ourselves, and we're going to do it, and and we're going to sincerely repent. How many of you know that would have been so wonderful if it had happened just like that for Jeremiah? But just the opposite happens. They ridicule him. They reject him. He goes back and he thinks about it, and I'm sure he has to remind himself because I'm on assignment from God, and God has reassured me, and this is not going well. This is not going well. So he goes back, maybe processes processes it through his mind a little bit more, and this time he goes back, but when he goes back a second time to bring God's message once again, he brings the message, but now with greater detail. He spells it out, what the judgment is going to look like. If you don't humble yourselves, if you don't repent, if you don't turn back toward God, if you just keep going the rebellious way that you're on, the track that you're on, then God's, he's bringing trouble, and he's just sent me to tell you there's some trouble coming. And you know what? It doesn't get better. Actually, all of it gets worse. So this time, follow the story now, this time, Jeremiah, he doesn't pause in terms of like, I need to think this through a little bit better. He actually goes back to the one who has sent him. He goes back to God and he says, time out, God. We've got a problem. We've got a problem. I don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand. You sent me out. All I'm doing is being obedient. God, I love you so much. And when you said, go, Jeremiah, I'm sending you. I, I didn't hesitate. I didn't give you 10, your, you know, reasons why I wasn't, you know, that Moses guy, slow speech. You know, I, I wasn't doing all that. I just told you I would go. I went. And you know what? Ever since I went, my rather, you know, mundane uh, life has become filled with trouble and pain and agony. God, I don't understand what is going on here. And don't you love the way that God often responds to us? It's the way that he responds to Jeremiah, and he says, all right, Jeremiah, this is unique. He says, Jeremiah, I hear everything that you're saying, and this may sound a little bit strange, what I'm asking you to do, but I want you to go down. A lot of you will remember the story with Jeremiah. It's one of the most famous portions of his life. God says, Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. Sounds weird, sounds strange, but I want you to go down to the potter's house. Now, I like to use my imagination. Do you think Jeremiah for a moment thought, what in the world does going down to the potter's house have to do with all the trouble and agony and stress that is, God, please, you know, I know you're God, and I know you're smart, but I, I don't know, Jeremiah, you, you just go. You go down to the potter's All right, you're God. I want to be obedient. And so Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house, and he look, you know, maybe he's looking in the window. Maybe he's observing from a distance. Maybe he doesn't identify himself, why he's there, what he's doing. But he notices that, you know, this clay is being shaped into a beautiful vessel. Potter's working with it. It's being shaped into a vessel. But partway into it, what happens? The clay, you, a lot of you know the story, the clay spoils. And so what does the potter do? The potter mashes it all up. He crumbles it up, and he starts over. And God says, like, Jeremiah, you get it? And Jeremiah's like, I got it, God. I I understand. You go back now, Jeremiah. And he goes back. And now he goes back yet another time, and this is his message, having come 
just recently from the potter's house. And he looks at the people, and in essence, this is what he says. He said, God says that you used to be. This is what he's saying. These are the people of God now. These are not pagans. These are not idolaters. These are the people of God. And he said, God says that you used to be good clay. And what God fully intended to do was to make you into a great vessel. That was God's plan. That's what God wanted to do. That is what God wanted to do in your life. You're special. You're called by my name. You are my people. And that, that was God's plan. You were, you were special clay, and God wanted to shape you into something that would be beautiful and wonderful, but God has now sent me to tell you he's about to smash you up. Now, how many of you know it, it doesn't get better? It, they're, they're not like responding positively. It only makes matters even yet worse. This doesn't win him any friends. It actually makes things go even more horribly. So God says to Jeremiah now, here's what I want you to do. I've got another assignment. How many of you believe by this time Jeremiah is getting a little bit perplexed, a little bit discouraged? Because always in the back of his mind, he keeps telling himself, why am I such trouble why is everything going wrong in my life? Why does all these people seem to hate me? Why are they being so cruel? Why do they ridicule me? Why are they rejecting me? I'm just doing what, listen, what God is asking me to do. And it's brought all this trouble upon me. So God has another mission for him. He says, all right, Potter's house, we've done that. Here's what I want you to do now. I want you to go down to the market. You know where I'm talking about, right, Jeremiah? Right, God. I want you to go down to the market, and I want you to buy a huge vase. Why, God? I don't need a vase. I don't even like flowers. I don't get it. Why should I buy a huge vase? Well, you just go, you buy this huge vase, and then I'll tell you what to do. So he does once again exactly, listen, friends, exactly what God asked him to do. Jeremiah says, All right, God, I've got the vase. Now, what do you want me to do with it? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the face, Jeremiah, right? You know, get the, gather some people together. You read the story later on your own. Gather, gather some people together that is representative of the people that my message is for. Gather them together. Take this vase that you have just bought. Hold it over your head as high as you can reach and then smash it right on the ground before them. That's what I want you to do. Now, this, you know, I can... You know, not a vase, but I can resonate with this story a little bit more. Uh, vacation recently had, you know, in case you don't know, I'm, I'm a pawpaw. Some of you may know this. And a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a nine-month-old. And they were all down from Illinois. And so my son, you know, after a week of vacation, my son had, had flown uh, back up. He had to be at work, but... Uh, our daughter-in-law and the three babies stay behind. So, you know, babysitting on a Monday, which is my day off, and just hanging out with the kids, enjoying the kids. And, and I noticed that Landry, Landry's the two-year-old. I told this story uh, at Lateside recently. Landry is the two-year-old, and uh, I noticed what she's doing. And so I say to Audrey, my daughter, I said, Audrey, be sure that when Landry is through with these kitchen tongs that they go into the dishwasher and not back into the drawer that she got him out of. And 
She's like, why, Dad? I don't, I don't. I said, well, you'll see in a moment. And in just a moment, Landry rounded the corner. She had these long metal tongs that she got out of a kitchen drawer, and she's carrying around a dirty sock. And I'm like, dishwasher, not back in the drawer. And I sort of forgot about it. And about five minutes later, I'm just sitting there, and I'm telling you, I had no idea that a two-year-old could generate such force But like Jeremiah reaching over his head with that vase, I'm not sure how far her little arms reached up. I never saw it coming, and she cracked me on top of my skull as hard as she could with those metal tongs. I literally, I'm like, for about three or four minutes, I'm just rubbing my head like this. I'm saying, I know any moment I'm going to have a huge goose egg. I mean, it, it hurt. It, I could just see her. Her mischievous just. And so Jeremiah's just like, all right, here, you know, God. And he raises, out, raises the face, and he just slams, it shatters. And he's like, you know what? That's, that's what God says he's going to do. God's about to shatter things. God's about to break things up around here. And you would think, wouldn't you, that they would like, okay, this, this is serious. God keeps sending Jeremiah back to us, so this must be a really big deal. But this time, they take Jeremiah outside, and it gets even worse. They beat him now. It's not just like verbal ridicule. It's not just like rejection. Now they physically beat him without mercy. And if you read the story, they humiliate him by putting him in stalks so that the people could just stroll by and mock him, just make fun of him. And again, keep in mind, friends, he is going through all this simply because he's doing what God has asked him to do. At the end of this 12-hour torture session, scholars tell us, probably lasted about that long, he begins, and we can understand this. In our humanity, all of us gets this. Uh, he begins to have some amped-up feelings. Any of you surprised by that? He's a little upset. He's angry. He's confused. Didn't God say, while he's there in the thoughts, people walking by, ridiculing, maybe spitting on him, just mocking him, oh, really, God's going to judge? Yeah, Jeremiah, you know, you're really getting on our nerves, and maybe this will shut you up. And you just stay there, and they're just taunting him and ridiculing him and mocking him, and, uh, you know, he's just getting more and more angry, and he's wondering more and more, why am I having to go through this? My life was pretty normal until I simply answered that call. I want to stop for just a moment because I... I have a question that I would like for you to consider. How many of you are up for it? Just wave your hand at me like this. Are you up for it? I've got a question I want you to consider. Had you been Jeremiah's friend, how would you have advised him at this point? What would you have told Jeremiah to do? All right, consider that for just a moment. Now file that aside. Let's make it a little bit more personal. All right, you ready for that? Wave at me if you're up for this one. All right, more personal. What would you have done had you been Jeremiah? What would you have done? You'd been like, God, out. You know, as long, you know, I never thought, I never thought that this assignment would lead me to this. And, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really up for it. How would you have responded when your life was rocking along quite normally? You weren't steeped in rebellion. You weren't doing anything hideous or wrong or evil. You were loving God and serving God, and out of nowhere, it seems that you get pummeled by something that has left you confused and frustrated, maybe even a little resentful. As a pastor, I run into people like this all the time who have to have an emotional reaction to something that has occurred in their life. 
Suddenly, without warning, a loved one dies. And they're like, God, the prevailing question is why? What good comes out of this? Or somebody loses a job, and it's like, you know, God, I've been seeking to be as faithful to you as I know how. I, I love you. I'm, I'm bringing my kids to church, and they're in the Wednesday night programs, and, and I'm tithing, and I'm serving in a ministry, and, and, and you know, I'm doing, I give above my tithes, and I'm generous toward those in need. And, and God, to the best of my ability, I'm just trying to, out of obedience to you, check all the right boxes and do the right things. And why is it that I would lose my job? Why is it that this engagement would be broken off? Why would this relationship break? Why would I, why would I get this serious health diagnosis? All I'm doing is what, you know, I know that you want me to do. Why is my child wayward? Why is my kids adult, uh, addicted to drugs or to, or to alcohol? Why is their life such a wreck? You know, I brought them up in church. I was doing the right thing. Why is my mom, why is my dad going through this debilitating condition? And when this happens, there's all kind of reactions that you and I can respond to God with. And I've seen it over the years as a pastor. I've seen some people just paste on a smile because they, they don't want to disappoint God. And they just think at the moment, I've just got to pretend that this is not bothering me. And, and I'm just going to smile and just keep right on chugging along. But I've seen other people, unfortunately, who started doubting God and kind of just numb out spiritually and over a while, and you see it happening, and you're just sort of trying to caution them against it, but they just start drifting from God. Uh, a lot of people can become, if they're not careful, even more overt than that. Some people just choose to reject all, uh, God altogether. They'll even say it. Forget God. I'm done with God. If, if this is what it's going to be, and I'm trying to do the right things, and this is happening, forget God. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but lots of people have. And Jeremiah, isn't it amazing? I was thinking about it while I was working on this message. You know, sometimes people say something like this. All right, follow me here. I'm going to take a, a departure briefly, but I'll come right back to Jeremiah's story. I run into people from time to time to say, you know, the Bible ought not be fully believed. You know, people say that, it, you know, under the inspiration and the authority of God. No, the Bible is a good book. It's a good book, good book for teaching and morality and such, but it's written by human beings, and, uh, you know, that's all it is. And listen, if you were writing a book, to try to get people to follow a particular way, don't you know that you would leave? I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you intentionally leave out stories like this one, Jeremiah? Hey, come follow us. Come on. Come on, let's live the Christian life. And sometimes when you do exactly what God wants you to do, it's going to get you in big trouble. If human beings were responsible for the Bible, I know for me particularly, if I I'd have just said, you know what, I want to leave this out. I don't think people need to see this. But God intentionally places it there. Not many people do what Jeremiah did in those moments. I wish that maybe more of us would. What did Jeremiah do? You know what he did? He got really honest. He got really honest with God. Sometimes it's just, I mean, truth be told, let's be practical. I mean, you know, and just, you know, transparent with one another. Sometimes we're not even honest with each other. How are you doing? Have you ever done? How are you doing? Somebody sees you in church, catches you out in the lobby. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And then you walk away and you say, my life is falling apart. I'm great. How's everything going? Never been better. And you've got all kind of chaos involved in your life. What does Jeremiah do? He has a conversation with God, an open, honest conversation with God. 
it's a painfully honest prayer and it gets really messy, you're about to see that it was not a carefully edited prayer that he has. I want you to take a look at it. We've jumped now from the early chapters of Jeremiah as we get ready to wrap up to Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7. Look at this verse. It's very, very unique. And this is what he says. This is his total honesty with God. He says, Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. I can remember. How many of you know that's just sort of a brutally honest conversation with God? While I was working on this message, I couldn't help but think but back to the times when, my, when I was real young, when my parents were teaching me how to pray, and often it would happen before bedtime, and they'd be like, okay, Jeff, let's kneel down. You're getting ready to go to bed, and let's kneel down. And so I'd kneel down by my mom, by my dad, by both. And I never heard one of my parents say, all right, I'm going to teach you how to pray tonight, and you follow up. Just, Jeff, just repeat after me. You ready, son? Lord, you have deceived me, and I am deceived. They never did that. But Jeremiah is just so honest with God. Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. Look at the rest of it. You're stronger than I am. You're like, what am I going to be able to do about this? You have overpowered me. Everybody makes fun of me. They laugh at me all day long. But then just after that, and I love the story, and we cannot leave this out. It's a fascinating story. Just after that, he reaches down, Jeremiah does, on the inside of who he is, and there's this other part of him that says, you know what, I'm going through all of this, and I'm doing what God has asked me to do, and it's brought a lot of trouble. I've been in stots, I've been ridiculed, I've been mocked, I've been beat by now, and it just seems trouble after trouble. How many of you know that whenever you're going through the challenge, there is this dual side of us, there's that part of us that can be frustrated and confused, but there's this other part of us that just knows that God is still in control. How many of you know that? And that's where Jeremiah is, and he's saying, you know what, I've been going through all of this, but he reaches down and he says, yet, you know, haven't considered it all. I still love speaking the words of God. I still sense that God might somehow be using me to turn a nation back toward him. Parts of me just wants to give up. God, if I'm going to be honest, if I'm going to be honest with you, part of me just wants to give up. I want to go back to my ordinary life, and I just want to quit. But God, about the time I reach that conclusion, I know you're with me. I know you're sending me. I know that no matter how bad things are right now, are you with me on this? Anybody hear what I'm saying tonight? No matter how bad it may be, I know that you are here and you're not going to forsaken me and you're not going to abandon me in some way, somehow. You're going to bring some good out of the pain that is occurring in my life right now. He's painfully honest with God. In verse 10, he continues, all my friends are waiting for me to slip. He says, not just, you know, people I, I don't really know that well, now my friends. But then listen to what he uh, adds to this next couple of verses. He said, but the Lord, and it's like he, and, and we can understand this because of our own humanity. You ever feel, you know, in the course of a day, it's not even like in the course of a week or a month, in the course of a day, you just sort of, you ever feel like you swing back and forth a little bit? And, and you see this sort of playing out with him. He says, like, all of my friends are waiting for me to slip. Bad deal. But then he turns around in the very next few verses. He said, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. So he's like back and forth. You know, you see sort of the, uh, and again, you just leave that out if you were editing that. But God made sure that it was here for people just like you and me. 
Because I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I, I can identify with the story of Jeremiah. And then he jumps back again. You think, oh, okay, he's over the hump now. But then he jumps back again, and, and he says, All right. It's like he's, he's like almost on the right track, but then he stops again later and says, hey, by the way, remind me why I'm praising God. Remind me. The one who has allowed me to be mocked and rejected and beaten. Look at these uh, two verses, uh, chapter 20. Let's look at these real quick as we get ready to close. He said this, how many of you know, this is a bad day when you start talking like this. Cursed is the day that I was born. The day that my mother gave birth to me. I don't know if you've done that recently. Any of you cursed your birthday recently? You know, party, cake, ice cream. I'm just going to curse this day. Cursed is the man who made my father very happy with the news that he had just become the father of a baby boy. Who's he talking about? He's talking about him. In verse 18, you continue. He said, why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. And I think that all of us would agree now that Jeremiah is holding nothing back. But why does he do so? And maybe if you read the story of Jeremiah, you've tried to make sense of it yourself. And you're saying, was Jeremiah just a reckless prophet? And I've just got to tell you, friends, I've read this story so many times before. I do not believe that that is it at all. I really believe with all my heart that Jeremiah was so deeply convinced of the love of God and the character of God and God's grasp upon his life that he could risk a painful, honest conversation with God. Yet he is not the only one. You say, well, that's just Jeremiah. No, it's really not. David felt the same way. Look at this verse with me. Psalm 62 and verse 8. Trust in God at all times, my people. Tell him all your troubles, for he is our refuge. Back to Jeremiah for just a moment, then we're going to pray. So he concludes his prayer. We saw it a moment ago. He curses his birthday. He regrets the day that he was born. He's confused and frustrated. And about that time, God speaks to him yet again. And I love the way that God works with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I know what's going on in your life. You see, Jeremiah, I made you. I created you. I love you. I've got a good plan for your life. Jeremiah, I know it's not really pleasant right now. And I, I know, Jeremiah, I've given you a really tough assignment. But you know what I told you in the beginning? That I would always be with you and that I would never leave you and I'd, I'd never forsake you and that I was going to protect you and I was going to rescue you. You know what, Jeremiah? I've never departed from that for just a moment. But I want you to know, I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. And Jeremiah, I just have to ask you, are you ready to get back in the game? I know you've been playing hurt. I know you had to come off the field for a while and nurse your injuries, but are you ready to get back in the game? Are you ready to get back to work now? Because I have some words I need you to speak, some words for the people that are directly from me. And so Jeremiah says to God, it's like, you know what, God? I get it. And I love the way this starts wrapping up. It's like he's just, again, his brutal honesty with God. He said, God, I just got to tell you, you know, when I, when I said, Lord, you have deceived me, I didn't really mean that. I was just hurting. I was going through a tough time. You know, all that I said, that stuff about deceiving, you know, all that, all that I said about cursing my birthday, I was just hurting. I'm not really going to curse my birthday. You know what I said, God, you know, about wanting to punch the guy who p passed out cigars when I was born? I don't want to do that anymore. 
And I imagine God then saying to Jeremiah, don't ever forget, Jeremiah, you're living in a sin-stained world. And with that, you're going to have some pains. Just got to tell you, Jeremiah, it's going to happen. Some disappointments. You're going to walk through some storms. They will end in heaven, Jeremiah, not here on earth. I really like what Erwin McManus says. Jeremiah's life reminds us that even when the beginning point and the final conclusion are certain, the middle can be full of turbulence and instability. So here's a couple of questions I'll leave you with. Before we're finished, I want to ask you, are you being honest with God about what? Listen, let me help you. God can handle it. God can handle it. If you're afraid, let God know you're afraid. He's okay with that. If you're frustrated about something, let God know. He, he can handle that. Well, if I say that to God, God's really going to know how I feel. Don't you think he already does? You just give him an opportunity to love you and to heal you. Look at this statement, and then I'll tell you a quick story, and we'll pray, and we're out of here. John Ortberg said this many, many years ago, and I brought it with me tonight. The guys are going to put it right here. Take a look at it. He said, when we're passionately honest with God, when we're not indulging in self-pity or martyrdom, but are genuinely opening ourselves up to God, when we complain and hope that God can be trusted, then we're asking God to create the kind of condition in our heart that will make resting in his presence possible again. Look at this last part. And God will come. And God will come right wherever we're at, and he will meet us where we're at. And I know we try to be tough. I do it. Some of you have heard me tell the story. You know that in a matter, I've told this recently, uh, again at Lateside, that in six months, grandbabies had moved to Illinois, had gone from 2.5 miles to forever away. And then two months after that, my dad passed away. It was about three months after that that mom passed away, and they were not elderly. Dad, 72, mom, 70. I actually got the news that my dad had passed away while I was up in Illinois visiting my, my grandkids. I had gone up there. Kenley, the oldest, was having a birthday, so I'd flown up there. We'd flown up for a birthday party. And so we were all there. Family were all there. And when my stepmother called and said, your, your dad's passed away. And, oh, man. I'm like, because uh, dad and I were like talking to three, four times a week. And always the same thing. I'd call him and they'd, hey, Jeffo, only person in the world. Jeffo. I've never been called Jeffo before or since, but Jeffo. And uh, I knew that would never happen again. And so I'm going to tell you something really stupid I did. Is, is that okay if I tell you something really stupid that I did? Maybe it'll make you feel better about some stupid things that you do from time to time. I said to myself, I'm a man. I'm a tough guy. I'm a pastor. I've had to stand with families through tragedy, and I know pain and all of that. And this is how stupid I was. Please don't remind me after service how stupid I was, because I already self-declared I was stupid. But I said, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to prove you can maybe get through something like this and not cry. And so I immediately, you know, called the airlines, got a flight, flew, uh, flew from Illinois, connected flight to Atlanta, Landed um, Tampa. My son, who was down here, came over to Tampa, drove me to the house from the airport, just changed luggage, you know, just turned, immediately got in my car, and I drove to Valdosta, Georgia, where Dad lived. And I didn't cry on the flight to Atlanta, and I didn't cry on the flight to Tampa, and I didn't cry on the flight from Tampa, you know, or, or the drive from Tampa to 
to Lakeland. And I did cry the whole time from Lakeland to Valdosta. But I had the funeral home where his viewing was on my GPS. And wouldn't you know that it would take me right by my dad's house on the way to the funeral home. I'd been tough, stupid, but tough. And I did really, really good till I drove by my dad's house. And I saw his pickup under the little carport there. And it just burst like a dam. And so as though God were teaching me, you know, because you never get beyond learning lessons. It was like God is teaching me. You know, you'd have been so much better off if you had done that early. If you'd just been honest with your emotions, honest with your pain. Jeff, I can handle that. It's all right. It's all right. Tell me how you feel. Tell me what you're going through. And I just poured it out to God. Listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're faced with in your life, in your relationships, in your job, in your financial standing, in your health. I, I just don't know. But I know that God knows. And I know that he's able to handle your honesty with him. In fact, sometimes you maybe just need to have a good cry and pour it all out. And remind yourself that God can handle it. But even more than that, he loves you and he understands and he's with you every step of the way. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Thank you for being so incredibly attentive tonight. But before we go, I want to just pray for you. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. And if you're here tonight, while nobody's looking around, and you just say, you know, Jeff, I, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling in some area of my life. I'm just, and I'm, I'm, I'm like you were. I was, I'm just being a little stupid, a little careless. I'm just trying to hold it all in and put the smile on and pretend everything's fine. But everything is not fine, and I'm struggling, and, and I just need to just pour out my heart to God and let God love me and heal me and touch me. If that's you, you're going through a challenge, would you just lift up your hand right there wherever you're at and just let me pray for you right where you're standing, right where you're standing. I want to do that. And as I do, God loves you. God cares about you. He knows what you're going through. I see all your hands. And let me just pray for you right now. Father, I just pray that you would touch your people tonight. I pray that somehow you have used me, although I know me well enough to know it's a miracle anytime you use me. But God, perhaps you have to just encourage people tonight to just remind them how much you love them, how much you care about them, how that they can be honest with you about their pain and their hurt, and you can handle it. You can handle us because you know us, you created us. And I just pray for them the way that I prayed in those days. You just wrap your arms around them, God, and heal them. Be with them the way that you were with me when I lost dad, when I lost mom. And God, I just pray whatever they're walking through, they'll just feel your presence and just know that even when it gets tough, God, that doesn't mean that you've abandoned them. It doesn't mean that you have forgotten about them. You're right there with them. And God, you're going to pull them through. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love the altars, don't you? Altars are opportunities for us to come and meet with God. So we're going to hang out here. The worship team's going to lead. And uh, you can slip out quietly whenever you're done. But listen, if you need to come forward, we're going to hang out here. And we'd love the opportunity to pray with you and to just help to love on you and support you during your time of challenge. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight.